Hello and welcome to the Granter Podcast. I'm Ted Hodgkinson and today I'm delighted to be joined by one of Granter's best of young British novelists for Helen Oyeyemi. We talked about her novels, The Icarus Girl, The Opposite House, White is for Witching, which was awarded the Somerset Maugham Award, and Mr Fox, which has won the Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright Foundation Award. We also talked about the joys of writing from a male perspective, the role of magic in her work, influences as various as Hitchcock and Jeanette Winterson, and how as a child she would correct books on her shelf with alternate endings that she would write in the margins. Helen, thank you so much for joining me down in the Grant basement. Thanks um, for having me. And you're, you're sitting right next to a big stack of Best of Youngs there, and I just wondered if you, if you wanted to give me a bit of your reaction. Um, did you do a few laps around the room when you found out? <sighs> I had to sit down. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just felt really weak in the knees, and then I was like, whoa. Um, just because, I mean, everybody knows about this list, and like you look at all the other people who've been listed, and you just kind of, yeah, it just blew my mind. I was not expecting at all, and I was just kind of, Ah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Who, are there any writers who've been on it previously who you associate with it or you've kind of um, particularly love? Um, big Jeanette Winterson fan. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think now. Now, now it's all escaped my mind. Am I allowed to like look through the? Oh no, that's fine. I mean, Jeanette, I think yeah, you can. Or can you I can, just like you can look Jeanette through? But um, I think Jeanette Winterson. We'd all agree, but she's. I think she was on the second of the two. That's the first one, I think. But yeah. um, um. Oh God, these names. <laughs> um, is this one? I know that's that's an Italian no, that's one. Italian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the uh, it's very. Um, it's. I actually think that's an interesting. It's interesting that you like her work because maybe that's a good place to start. I think that um, there is some. There is some. I think there are some links in a, in a way with your work and hers, and um, particularly in the way that you um, incorporate, you might call it the fantastic, into your work, and the way that you, I mean, there's a great deal of magic in your books. I mean mm. that in in the sense of um, people who are in a sort of liminal world that interacts with our world. Mm. And um, do you um, how? When you're conceiving of a story or when you're writing a story, is magic something that is it important to you? Do you think about magic? Um, I don't. It's it's strange because I I set I don't really set out to include magic. It just seems to include itself, and I think mm. that that's why um, sometimes um, people come at me and ask me about magical realism and ask me what I think about that. Um, mm. But because I start out real like it's all real like this is the mm. thing like magic is real mm. and so is the world and so they just kind of um they touch and come apart and touch and come apart and that's mm. that's how it happens and also and it's a little bit frustrating for me because when I try to find a logic for it I just can't so mm. <laughs> so I just have to let it be as it is because it is real yes I think there's another connection with Winston there as well because that's something that she doesn't make any concessions about you know it's yeah. th the world in her work is as it is she makes she makes no concessions but also she she is fiercely literary like she's she's mm. somebody who's so real about all that she's read mm. and um, tries to find a way to make her writing meet what she's read mm. and also 
to sort of disrupt and disturb and mm. and play around with it and that's something that I try to do um, all the time so I guess that's why I stand in awe of her. Mm. Mm. I think, I mean, this is a funny place to start maybe but I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Mr Fox in that respect because your, this is your latest novel and what I thought was really interesting was the way that that um, talking about meeting the text um, and incorporating the literary into the world that you exist in. It seemed as if Mr. Fox was in some ways a, an embodiment of some of the books that have come before and the way that he's interacting with his character. Um, this seems like a, to me, it seems like a, a really mature book that you're, you're kind of interacting with perhaps the three books that have come before it. Do you, because you're, 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 um, still relatively early on in your career and yet you you are negotiating a literary past already. Do you see that's something I do? Um I feel yeah, I feel I felt with Mr. Fox, which was so much fun to write, I felt as if it was more as if it was touching on things that I touched on in the per, in the past three books, but with a lighter touch and just mm. I felt It's very funny. Boy, I felt buoyant and, you know, mm. and it was and I, I suppose that there are, they say that thing about writers is telling the same story over and over again and trying to find, you know, ways to tell it that will capture the interest of, like, the reader or maintain the interest of the reader. Mm. And maybe that's what I'm doing in the end. Mm. Or I just think that I'm just becoming more unabashed about my engagement with fairy tales. Because mm. I think that maybe I tried to disguise that a little bit more in, in earlier books. Really? <laughs> but now I'm just like, here's a fairy tale remixed. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Bluebeard in, in, yeah. the, in the book. And it's it was impossible to kind of not, to, to, to fail to acknowledge the books that I'd read, like that, that fed into it. Like there was that, I was at a really difficult point with Mr. Fox and then I read a Margaret Atwood essay and then mm. I was just kind of like, whoa, and just went from there. And there were all these tendrils and I can... If I look back over it, I can just see the different points at which I read different things. And even now, like, I'm coming across Bluebeard things and I'm thinking, ah, mm. it's too late. And, and foxy things as well. Um, mm. Yeah. So that, I, that's interesting because I, when I was reading, um, I think it was The Opposite House recently, um, there's a moment where two characters interact and they're talking about vertigo, I think. And... Um, which is also my favourite Hitchcock movie. Hey. <laughs> but um, I just, I I think that your work has a um, sort of extremely rich quality where you, you find these, um, uh, what do you call them, like totems in the text and, and they, they sort of, they fire up the characters and open the story up as well. Um, I mean, w how important are, I don't think you're, if I could try and turn that into a question. I don't think your um, influences are necessarily all literary. I mean, it feels no. like there's a lot of music and a lot of film. Yeah, there's a lot of, and even in Mr. Fox, there's a lot of film noir influence, just like in the way that mm. um, the parts between Mr. Fox and his wife, the dialogue, like, kind of snaps. And um, I like Pulp Fiction because of its economy and mm. the way that the story just goes forward and just gets told, like, with as few words as possible. And I'm... I think I'm trying to strip back in that way. It's it's kind of an epistolary novel. I mean, it's it's lot, there are a lot of letters certainly in there, and um, you mentioned it was really fun to write. Um, is that? I mean, has that always been the case for you? Have you always found writing fun? No. <laughs> no, I think that 
I think that Mr. Fox was kind of, and, and I think that I will always feel fond of it um, in a particular way because it kind of reminded me of what I write for and mm. and what I read for um, and all those things. I mean, we were talking about totem moments. I tend to read, like, I've noticed that my favourite novels and my favourite short stories, sometimes I can't remember how they began or how they ended. Mm. There's just like a sort of moment that around which the rest of the story is organised for me and I just kind of find I can just like stay on that moment and just go down and mm. down and down and then mm. come back up again and and I think that that's that's just how that works for me. But your work has an amazingly sort of subconscious quality almost that you 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 are immersing us in this as you say real world that is embedded with with magic as as perhaps reality is and do, do you when you look back at those earlier works do you read them do you do you look at them and you because you were you were I mean we're, we're both about the same age but you were extremely young when you, you published that first book and do you um, does it hold a particular point in your life do you think of it as a particular do you, do you recognise that person who wrote the book there's one of my novels two of my novels I didn't enjoy writing at all mm. one of them I don't like at all <laughs> and I won't say which because it's horrible it's like saying that child is my least favourite child <laughs> um, but I think my first novel the Icarus Girl, I look back on it and I think it's workmanlike. I feel like I feel like okay, I can stand by it. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm surprised that I had the nerve <laughs> to, to write it when I think when I think about it. I'm just like, oh That's the beauty of you so isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you just you're just did. like, oh I'll just write this this novel, this kind of gothic y thing. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Um, yeah. Cause I don't think I think if I set out to write a doppelganger story now, I would feel the weight of so many other doppelganger stories, and I think I would try to be more tricksy, and I'd try to be more, and the thing that I kind of appreciate about 18-year-old Helen is that she just got on with it, mm. um, and just told the story in the simplest way that she could. Mm. It, I mean, in a, in a, you, I think you were, you're probably... Um, being a little modest because you're probably also a very literary 18 year old um but um it's it's a strange thing that then you were in this position where um suddenly you had um a readership and a critical um reception that was very positive i mean the book is wonderful i don't think it's workmanlike but um the uh uh so uh, tell me about what happened then. I mean, did, how did that next book? Was that a difficult time? Yeah. It was. It was difficult, but I didn't acknowledge it at the time because I needed to just get the second book written. Mm. Um, I think lots of people say that they're just kind of like, okay, just get the second book done, and then you can do the third, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, I had a really, really tough time, and I think that I just became a different writer between those two books like um and it and it was a gap that like I had to jump that I that I, ha I haven't had such a big gap between books like before like just in terms of mm. um not so much style because I don't think that I have a style I wish I had a style um but more preoccupations or or approach something like that and mm. it just something like really big changed between those two books and it was difficult and, mm. and it was difficult to find my footing and so in a way like I feel like Voices for Witching was working through that then with Mr Fox I kind of 
I feel like I found my footing now and mm. I'm still and I'm working on something now and I just feel yeah that's great I mean something I felt was consistent with the first three and and certainly creeps into Mr Fox as well is um how important houses are in your work uh, houses and, and the sort of um liquidity the distance of a house the the mortar the the bricks that everything feels as though when you write a house it's alive and uh, and even the sort of the hidden spaces of of a house are um i think in i think it's fair to say in all of your books there's a, there's a space like that probably less so in mr fox because it's it's more internal, I suppose. That the house become he is the house in a way. But yeah, I mean, with Mr. Fox, there was the danger of. Um, I kind of stayed away from the whole key thing of Bluebeard, which is like the locked room, the bloody the bloody right. chamber, because um, I just didn't know how to come at it, and I and it sort of felt as if it could just overwhelm everything, and I could yeah, because I like to talk about houses and rooms and mm. um, and secret spaces, I could just do the bloody chamber for like pages and pages <laughs> <laughs> but that's a different influence there as well i mean when you're when you're a bit um as you say a bit older and a bit more um aware of references like angela carter or whoever might have come at the, the story before mm. um is that something that you have to sort of consciously forget if you know what i mean you just have to think okay you know screw it she's done it i'm gonna do it again um I just, I somehow found a way around it. I think it helped that, um, that I had the whole 30s um, thing going on um, with mm. Mr. Fox and his wife. Um, it helped that I discovered um, Barbara Commons. I'm still not sure if I say her surname right. C-O-M-Y-N-S. Commons, Commons. Barbara Commons. Mm, anyway, I, I love her. Right. I've read all her books. Um, and she does fairy tales, but in this... Um, but with a kind of madcap solemnity. Mm -hmm. um, very, very funny, but also if you just read it as it is, it's actually horrifying. Right. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> she somehow manages to like give that doubleness to like most of the things she says. Um, mm. And she'll have these casual asides, um, like about a girl who gets beaten at home and, and at school they just see her like walking very close to the walls. Mm. Like, and that's what she does all the time. Um, and then you know it'll just move on to something else, and you you still have this image stuck in your mind. Mm. Um, so I kind of I'm trying to take on like some more of the influence of like again the light dark touch the mm. alternating. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting that um, in in the first three books there's an amazing um, we might call it exploration of confidences, particularly between between girls or between women there's a sort of a secret world of friendships and and um loyalties that are very important in those books um and then it seems as though in the most recent novel in mr fox suddenly there's this kind of swaggering masculinity that just kind of you know <laughs> pushes open the door and it's like here i am and it's interesting how um how funny you are about that because it's it's such a I mean there are, of course there are male characters in in um, in White for Witching Elliot is a very integral there are several very integral male characters in that but there um, is, was there sort of did you enjoy writing that slightly more brazen I masculinity did. It was so, oh, <laughs> I I loved playing at it um, but also it was kind of me making fun of 
myself, I guess, because I've never been quite convinced by my male characters. It's interesting that you said that about Elliot, because I was mm. quite frustrated with him like in earlier drafts of the book, because mm. he just didn't seem to be coming alive for me. And also I just have that... I feel quite certain in that world of, like, um, you know, secrecy, friendships, um, female confidences. I feel quite certain of that. Mm. Um, but with with men, I just feel like <laughs> I have no idea. Mm. Um, <laughs> I just have no idea. And so it's just a lot of guesswork. And, I'm yeah. And so I just thought, why not? If, I, if it's going to be guesswork anyway, then why not just, like, blow it up as big as I can? Yeah. And is that is that kind of one of the attractive things? You mentioned that this is the book that made you remember why you wanted to write um is th- is that something that interests you i mean is that probably part of why you do it to sort of push out into the things that you don't know yeah being other people is like the whole point of it transformations mm. is like what i'm in this business for so mm. it's kind of oh so much fun it was like fireworks <laughs> yeah um i i want to go and back a little bit and ask you about um how you started writing and I mean I know that you were even younger than the when you published Secret Girl probably when you when you started writing but do you remember when you when you first started writing was it from very very young or did you when did you first start writing or when did you get an idea that you might want to be a writer um uh, there's the story that that I've already told um but I guess I, well I I say that and I actually I think it's true is it still true it was true when I first heard it, um, which is um, I used to write in books, like that. I I would cross out endings that I didn't like, and I would rewrite them, and you know I would I would order everything to my taste, and and everything that I decided would happen happened, and then I realised that I could that I could start writing my own things, and so then I transferred from the book. So so the first one was Little Women. Um, because it was so upsetting because everything was so terrible and actually I talk about it a little bit in The Across Girl um, about how Justin gets really upset Mm. but I hated that Beth died Joe married the wrong man everything's awful so I just had Joe marry Laurie and I had Beth survive and everything was great (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing and it was a library book so everyone was very angry with me Um, but I felt I felt as if nobody else understood that book (laughs) better than I did God, what I mean, so that must have really—you must have found growing up and reading really frustrating because there's so I many, really you know, like did. Middle March or you know, didn't you just <laughs> yeah, marry I, him. I was just kind of like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, some, yeah. Sometimes there's an outcome that I can accept. Um, it's it's. I I used to be like happy endings, and then I think I went through a period where I was against happy endings. Um, mm. I, I think it maybe reflects on. A little bit your view of life at yeah. the time and so on. And How, now, now I'm back to happy endings, mm. but earned happy endings. Mm. I feel like if you can like show me how this ended, like in a satisfactory way, then mm. I'll take it. Then you'll you'll ratify it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see your library and your <laughs> where, where you live. You know, this crossed out. You know, like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that's. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that um, when you. There must have been a switch. I mean, wh- how how old were you when you started to, maybe when you, I don't know when you read, um, the end of the trial, and you were like, "That's right. That's how it yeah. should be." I think I think that was when I was sort of fourteen, fifteen, mm. and I was just kind of, yeah, 
coincides with a time of Great Depression. Interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so, because uh, I know that you you've you've more or less lived in in, in England your whole life, more mm. or less. And but you you're quite peripatetic at the moment. You you move around. You've been living in Europe, I think. And mm. and um, but did you? Growing up, was that? Uh, did you where Where did you live when you grew up? Exactly. Um, I grew up in Lewisham, well, in De- Lewisham Borough, Deptford. Okay. Yeah. And was it? I mean, because you say when you're 14 that that, that you, there was a period of depression. Was that? I mean, that's I, I remember it well. But I mean, <laughs> other than the sort of Holden Caulfield years setting in, which is what happened for me. But the the um, do you was there was there a particular shift or was it something that just happens with adolescence or I think it was it was adolescence but um sort of heightened by I well I get it was clinical like I was I was clinically diagnosed so I guess it was that too but I just I feeling odd feeling out of place mm. um being sort of the bookish girl who went around with books in her pockets, in the pockets of her blazer while everyone else was like doing what everyone else they were doing. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. And yeah, I don't it, know what it was. It's, it's different. It's um, one of the things I think that comes across in the work when those early books are these um, rather heartbreaking, you know, those characters that are um, slightly invisible or feel that they're slightly invisible uh, and then. And what what's amazing, actually, in Mr. Fox as well, is that you give great corporeality to the invisible people. Um, they kind of have bodies themselves, and um, and perhaps that's, um, as you say, that's part of the magic that just exists. But when you were, um, I don't know, were you at a very bookish school? Were you encouraged to read, or were you? Was no. it? No. Right? no it that school just seems, and I don't know if, if I'm just remembering it weirdly, but it just seemed like a genuinely hellish place. Like, I just remember everybody being unhappy. Like, you'd go mm. to the toilets to cry, and you'd hear, like, five or six other girls crying in the cubicles. Everyone was, like, alone in their unhappiness. And then I wonder, well, why didn't we just, like, be nice to each other? I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It was, um... It was an... Was it, a, was it all girls' school or was it boys' Yeah, it was, it was all girls. All girls. Um, they, had, they had this gifted and talented program. Um, anybody who was on it was labelled a boffin by the people who weren't, who weren't on it. And it was just... What a curse. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> like I do not want to be a boffin. Oh, I just no. want to read books. Good. They didn't make you join the choir, did they? That would have no, been that was, death I was sentence. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, that... that it, I think it's a um, peculiarly uh, English thing uh, to to have a school in which um, sort of misery is just widely accepted and kept under wraps, and was, you know it's really strangely. Um, yeah. But have you have you ever? I mean, I suppose it's in the work, but have you ever felt tempted to write about school? I mean, there's there's a really interesting series of sections in Whites for Witching about Cambridge, and did you? And there's there's a kind of buoyancy in some of those scenes, but it's also a place where, um, you know, there's an out of placeness there. I mean, I I, I think it's understandable <laughs> having been to. A, you went to the other. Place. Yeah, I went to the other. Place. <laughs> uh, but it's you know that feeling of arriving and and feeling like oh my god, the stones are looking at you. 
Um, it, it was especially weird coming from Deptford. Although, the more I think about it, and there's something that came to me when I was writing Voices for Witching, is that when I was growing up in Deptford, the whole like history of it um, as as like the place where John Evelyn and Samuel Pepys lived and things like that, that was mm. really played up. Um, the plague graves were played up, and it's the sense of it being really old was played up but for some reason I just didn't feel it in the same way as when I got to Cambridge and everything was maybe it was just because the oldness was more pristine mm. Mm. <laughs> in Cambridge whereas in it but it's just you know <laughs> were, you, were you encouraged to write at Cambridge did, did your did your tutors recognise that did you were you encouraged to write fiction oh no I'd have supervisions and um as you should say things like, oh, you're a fiction writer, are you? How frivolous. <laughs> now let's get on with politics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was it the attitude of, you know, everything post-Chaucer is basically, you know, pointless? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very good for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, okay, so I... Uh, it's really interesting that you, what you, what you mentioned that you were um, you're working on something now. You feel like that's an ongoing project. Um, how and it seems like that 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 project crystallised for you in a certain way when you're when you're writing Mr. Fox. But I mean, how far do you plan ahead? If you do you do you see a story and then you think I'm going to sort of you know fill this out, or or is it much more um, feeling along as you go? Um, I seem to have an idea, go at it with gusto, get it all wrong, and then do it again. Like, that's what happened with Mr. Fox. Like, I had a whole draft, and it just wasn't any good. So mm. then I went back and did it again. And again, with similarly with this one, I was like, I have this idea. I wanted to write my Wicked Stepmother book. So then I was like, ha, huh, and I did a draft, and then I'm like, no. <laughs> and this <laughs> can take, like, a year, you know. Mm. But, but then you put it away, and... And you go at the idea again from like a different angle. Um, so it's not so much feeling my way as knowing what I have to do, but being too overwhelmed to do it hmm. in the first take. <laughs> right, right. And does does reaching that end point, when you reach that end point, you start completely fresh, or do you incorporate? Um, I start afresh as a rule, but then I just find myself like cannibalizing from the earlier text. Like it yeah. will just like come in, and it's fine because nobody else will see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So and and have you have you written much? I mean, because I know that there's obviously the piece in the issue that we're running, but um, the 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 work that I've seen tends to come out in quite large sizes I mean it tends to be novel that you tend to produce novels and do you is there a story collection somewhere in the works or do, would you like to write a story collection I would like to like in a lot of ways I see Mr Fox as a story collection so mm. like, maybe I, it was me like gearing up <laughs> to like mm. it was a story collection I'd like to um, I worry because the feeling of writing a short story is so tense and so awful that I don't know if I can bear it like I, d I just plot scares me like in a mm. like I really love Agatha Christie and I love like all those golden age whodunits but I think the thing that terrifies me more than anything is the plot rather than like mm. the murderer because I just feel kind of hurried along by it and nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah I don't know and, and by the end I don't really care who done it I just mm. I'm just in it I'm just in the story 
So yeah, a short story feels like more of an emergency than like a novel and I think if I could, you know, prepare myself for 13 emergencies or something, then <laughs> I'll do it. That sounds like a title. <laughs> 13 emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's interesting that you... There are these crescendo moments in the books um, which I think definitely have um, particularly the moments that feel like they're self-contained or little vignettes that seem like they could be they could stand alone I mean in White is for Witching that really disturbing scene with the, the the ancestors sitting around the table with the padlocked mouths and it's it's very um, it's something quite haunting and quite um, gripping and I can but then what you do I think really well and then this isn't exactly a question is uh, is the way that you um, build up to that point of um, that point of I suppose heightened reality you could call it or, or ghostliness in um, an extremely um, believable way so as you say it's not okay. I mean if you drop it in if I say you know if you were to start a scene with those things um, it would seem immediately very very fantastical um, but perhaps something that it's harder to do in a short story is to is to weave in those other realities without it being glaringly fantastic I think I think it's just there like I I'd, difficult for me to explain like how I it's something to do with how I perceive like that's that's certainly it but I'm it's not so much that I'm always expecting something bizarre to happen, but I just I feel as if a lot of a lot of the time it's on the brink, mm. <laughs> and that maybe just paying attention to something for a second longer mm. could actually make something happen or allow something to happen. I, I, I don't really know what it is, and so yeah, there's always that potential for you to like walk into a room that seemed to be empty and then like. There are some people with padlocked mouths, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's it's the hauntings of like memory and and mm. things like that, and also ancestral presences is something that maybe I'm a little bit hung up on. It's something that I feel very conscious of um, all the time and very curious about and how it and how it interacts with memory, with like our personal memory. Mm. Um, so, how much do you feel responsibility to? sort of unspoken ancestral memories if you like it's a lot a lot is a brief answer like I feel mm. I feel like it's something that I'm always negotiating um, as a storyteller mm. and I, I yeah I don't know whether it's just because um, yeah, I mean culturally like my family is from a tribe of storytellers like the Yoruba is just like the most they're fabulous. <laughs> um, you know, the best braggers, the best insulters. Is insult a word? Best at giving out insults. Um, and just amazing storytellers. And so there is that kind of weight. Like, I mean, yeah. Mm. Were you were you surrounded by storytellers when you were growing up? Because storytelling seems to be... I mean, there are a lot of storytellers in the books as well as you yourself. Is that mm. something you were... Um, yeah, I mean, I was... I was told plenty of stories and it was just but it was I mean we were talking a bit about 
poetry for domestic purposes. It was storytelling for domestic purposes. It was just like everything that happened, there was a story for it. Um, mm. You know, we had the creation stories. We had just like stories for why you should put the lid on the jar. You know, like there was stories mm. and and so I think that that's why like my dad's still like a little bit astonished that I'm like making a living from telling stories it's like oh okay <laughs> like, <laughs> is that a thing is that a big thing oh okay. they must be very proud of you as well oh well do <laughs> <laughs> they um is it the kind of thing where um if you win a prize there's a sort of I mean I'm just wildly projecting now but I feel like in some families the economy of like winning a prize is, makes more sense than publishing work that yeah is of I think merit. that that might be the, that might be the well but for now like it's still well you're a doctor <laughs> well surely you can you can give them a copy of Grand Tour and be like look oh I can't wait to get it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming down to talk to me in the, in the basement it's a pleasure Thanks for listening to the Granter Podcast, available for free download on iTunes, SoundCloud and selected British Airways flights. To subscribe, please do visit our website, granter.com forward slash subscribe.